0: This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. Our scripture reading this morning is from Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. We read the first seven verses... 1-7 1 through 7 of Leviticus 10. And then we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 35, which we consider this morning. Leviticus chapter 10, 1 through 7. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon. And offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me and before all the people I will be glorified and Aaron held his peace and Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan the sons of Uziel the uncle of Aaron and said unto them come near carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp so they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. We read that far in God's inspired word. On the basis of that portion of Scripture, as well as on the basis of all of God's word, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism, and now in Lord's Day 35, Lord's Day 35. The Heidelberg Catechism is describing our gratitude or thankfulness to God for so great a salvation in Jesus Christ. In doing so, it explains the Ten Commandments, the first one we considered last week in Lord's Day 34. And now, Lord, say 35, the second commandment. What doth God require in the second commandment? That we in no wise represent God by images, nor worship Him in any other way than He hath commanded in His word. Are images then not at all to be made God neither can nor may be represented by any means. But as to creatures, though they may be represented, yet God forbids to make or have any resemblance of them, either in order to worship them or to serve God by them. But may not images be tolerated in the churches as books to the laity? No. For we must not pretend to be wiser than God, who will have his people taught not by dumb images, but by the lively preaching of his word. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Last week we began considering the 10 commandments that we are to obey in thankfulness for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We pondered the first commandment, the great commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That is also expressed in 1 John 5:21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All other gods are forbidden. We must worship, love, and trust the one true God, the catechism explains. Learn rightly to know the only true God, meaning true doctrine is a way to keep the first commandment. Know Him rightly, love Him, fear Him, glorify this one true God, Him alone. Today we move on to the second commandment. And the second commandment is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. We read that today. At first glance, that second commandment might not seem so different from the first. At first glance, that second commandment, we might blend in with the first and think of those two commandments as the same thing. Have no other gods. Included with that, statues of idols that we bow and worship. But those two commandments must be understood as distinct. Yes, they are related. They're both about worship. First and second, and third and fourth, about worship. But the first commandment must be distinguished from the second in that the first commandment answers this question. Whom? Whom do we worship? God alone. No other gods before me. And the second that we consider today answers the question: not whom, but how? How should we worship How should we worship this one true God? In other words, the first is about the object of our worship. And the second commandment is about the manner, the manner, the kind of worship that we are to bring to this one true God. As is the case with many of the commandments, the second commandment brings up one of the gross forms of the manner of worship that is forbidden. It brings up the kind or the manner of worship that is with images. Yet as the catechism explains, it's more than that. That we worship God in no other way than He has commanded in His Word, meaning Any other manner than he has commanded in his word. Not just images, but any other manner is forbidden. The second commandment is about the manner of our worship. Significantly, the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church with her do not make a distinction between the first and the second commandment, which leads them to great errors. In fact, they combine the first and second commandment And in doing so, they really only have nine commandments. In order to make the appearance of having ten, they split up the last commandment, the tenth commandment, into two. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. That would be the ninth for them. And then thou shalt not covet anything else. But in doing so, the main problem is not a splitting up of the tenth, nor is it mainly... That is a blending of the first and second. But the main problem is then a neglect to teach exactly what the second commandment calls us unto. The manner of worship. And that is what leads those churches to allow for images in the worship of who they claim to be God. And also the addition of many other elements to worship which God has not commanded in His Word. But as you know, the second commandment is not only ignored by the Roman Catholic Church and by many Lutheran churches, but also by most of the church world. It is imagined that the manner of worship does not matter. As long as the people come with sincere hearts as long as the people are excited about the worship of God, as long as the people feel like they are worshiping God, that's what matters. The manner does not matter in the church world today. And so, all kinds of things are included in the worship of God, for which we are tempted to church shop for. In this consumer culture. But the second commandment shows how important the manner of our worship is. It's not up to man, it's up to God and the governing of his word. The catechism explains in no wise represent God by images, nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. And we read in Leviticus ten how serious God, how seriously God takes the manner of worship. In Leviticus 10, you find Nadab and Abihu, children, that is, uh, children, a story that is very, very striking and meant to show us how serious God takes His worship. Nadab and Abihu were church leaders of their day who offered what is called in Leviticus 10 verse 1, strange fire or strange worship before God. In the Old Testament, as you know, the priests were supposed to lead the people in worship and here, Nadab and Abihu are leading the people in what we would call congregational prayer. In the Old Testament, there were some rituals and ceremonies that God commanded them that He does not command us today, but He did command the Old Testament people in a certain kind, and a certain manner of worship when they brought congregational prayer. The priests had what is called a censer. That's mentioned in verse 1. A censer is a Pot, probably a metal pot, and they would take that censer and go to the altar of burnt offering and there take the hot coals of fire from beneath the altar of burnt offering and fill their censer with those coals. And then they were called to take that censer full of coals and bring it into the holy place before the veil or the Holy of Holies where the ark of the tabernacle was. And that's what Nadab and Abihu were doing while the people of Israel traveled through the wilderness and they had a tabernacle or a tent where God dwelt. Nadab and Abihu brought coals of fire in a censer into the holy place and then put upon that, as they ought to, a, a, a concoction of spices or herbs called incense. And that was supposed to be a fragrant smoke picturing The prayers of the saints. The prayers that the priests were engaging in and leading the rest of the people outside the tabernacle to do, to pray. In this manner, the priests were supposed to draw near to God and the people with them. But Leviticus 10 says, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire before God. Something about the fire in that censer that they brought before God was, notice, not what God commanded. That which He commanded them not. Not the manner He wanted. And God takes that seriously. Leviticus 10, verse 2 shows us clearly. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured or consumed them and they died before the Lord strange fire or strange worship commanded not is the theme of this morning's sermon. First, worship through images. Second, worship commanded not. And then finally, worship for or before a jealous God. In our consideration of the second commandment and the manner of worship, it is helpful to distinguish between Worship, service, and daily service. Sometimes the church world muddies those waters, but both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament today, God's people would assemble for a worship service, like the one we are in this morning. But then after the worship service, they would go forth in their daily lives, and seek to do all things for the glory of God. A daily service throughout the rest of the week. Those two are related. A worship service and a daily service. And yet, to be distinguished. God's people know that both are necessary in the Christian life. But it's helpful to distinguish between a worship service and a daily service as we consider the second commandment. In Lord's Day 35, we see that the Heidelberg Catechism is referring to both the worship service and daily service. The second commandment applies to both, though it emphasizes the worship service. Where it applies to both, the Lord's Day shows us, is regarding graven images of God. Graven images made of God. Both in our worship services and in our daily lives, we are not to make images of God. Question answer 96, what does God require in the second commandment? The first part is that we in no wise represent God by images. There is an absolute forbidden, forbidding of such images. The catechism is reflecting exactly what the second commandment itself reflects. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. You hear that absolute forbidding of images of God. Whether it be in church or our daily lives. Whether it be the making of an image of God the Father. Or of God the Son. Or of God the Holy Spirit, there is a forbidding of those images. Whether you yourself make those images, or someone else made it for you and you bowed before those images, or you think of that image as God or to worship God, you would be sinning against the second commandment whether it's an image of gold or silver or wood or stone, or a digital image in the moving pictures of today, you would be breaking the second commandment. It would be clear, direct disobedience of God's inspired Word. Rebellion. Thou shalt not. You may not. Significantly, the catechism says more than just you may not. It says you cannot. You cannot. Answer 97. God neither can nor may be represented by any means. It's impossible to accurately represent God with an image. No image can show the glory that God has. No image can show His being. No image can show His person. Thus, anyone who makes an image of God, paints a beautiful piece of art, and says that is God, is not making anything beautiful, but really diminishing the glory of God, attacking God, and more sharply, every image made of God is a lie. It is to say that something is God or looks like God when it doesn't at all. It would be worse, children, than if someone took a picture of a pig in its slop or in the mud and pointed to that picture of the pig and said, look, that's you. And called that picture, that representation by your name you see it's far worse than that we in comparison to a pig you say that's terrible but now we're talking about god who is far gl- more glorious than we are and we are to, to point to a picture to think of a, a an image and say that is god it's worse As Romans 1, verse 23 puts it, to change the glory of the incorruptible God, to change the the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. No, absolutely not, the law says. So emphatic is the Heidelberg Catechism on the basis of God's Word that it allows the reader of the catechism momentarily to wonder if the catechism is overstating the point. Notice the question. Are images then not at all to be made? And when you start reading the, question, the answer to that question, the Hutterberg Catechism does not immediately make a qualification. Well, of course not. You are allowed to make images of creatures. It doesn't start that way. It momentarily allows the reader, to think, is it overstating the point? We're not allowed to make any images? Because it wants to emphasize no, absolutely no images to represent God. That's not just a catechism. That is the second commandment. When you read the second commandment, thou shalt not make any graven image Of any likeness, of anything that is heaven above, and it goes through that list, the earth beneath. And and you wonder as you read through that second commandment, does that mean that we're not allowed to make any images? And the next part clarifies it. Not bowing before them, but momentarily. The mind of the reader wonders. Are we not allowed to make any images at all? To make the point emphatic. Absolutely is it forbidden to represent God by those images. Whether in the worship service or in our daily service of our God. Catechism having made that point goes deeper to apply the second commandment especially to our formal worship service. And here the catechism shows its emphasis on this again. No, a no tolerance, we can say. There is a no tolerance of any image in the worship service. And not just images to represent God, but there is a no tolerance of any image in the worship service. Question, question 98. But may not images be tolerated in the churches as books to the laity. Tolerance. That is the watchword of today's religion and of the church world today. We need to be tolerant. We need to tolerate. And there is some truth... There is some truth in that word. Satan's lies are always mixed with a little bit of truth, and the truth is that some might want to delay in their radical demeanors. The truth is that we as Christians must be patient with one another. We must be forbearing. We must be careful not to be rash in our condemnation of one another or of others, judging hearts and destinies is forbidden also by God's law. Yet the word tolerant or tolerate usually is spoken to mean more than that. It means to permit. It means to condone. It means to compromise. It means to be silent about a sin in someone else not to address it when we see it continuing. That kind of toleration is not biblical. It ought not be part of our life. May we tolerate images in the church the catechism asks. On the basis of God's Word, the answer is no. No. If a minister comes here to Hope PRC, and leads you in a worship service with a slideshow presentation, you should have no tolerance for it. If the elders want to use a prop to bring a visual aid to the preaching, you should have no tolerance for it. If the building committee proposes to add an image to this sanctuary so that the people during the worship service can look at it to learn about God and to praise Him, there should be no tolerance for it. That's the catechism on the basis of God's Word. And the challenge that is brought against this no-tolerance teaching is this. Can't we make an exception just for a little while, maybe, for the children? Or, as the catechism says, what about the laity? May not images be tolerated in the churches as books to the laity? That word laity, children, is a Roman Catholic term that refers to the members of the church in distinction from the clergy, those office bearers of the church. Among the Roman Catholic people, especially in the days of the Reformation, the church was viewed primarily as clergy, the office bearers. And the people were viewed as secondary members second class, because they did not know as much about God's Word. It was claimed. And in the days of the Reformation, many were uneducated, unlearned, and illiterate, unable to read. And so the challenge comes against the no tolerance for images in worship. Why can't we have pictures for them who cannot read the Scriptures, Let's have pictures so that they can understand the Word of God. The Reformers responded, teach them to read then. Give them the Bible in their own language then. Let the people get used to reading and hearing the Word of God. That's how the Bible wants us to learn and worship God. The Roman Catholic Church maintained images for the laity. The catechism says, consistent with the no tolerance teaching, dumb. Frankly, images are dumb. That's not just a catechism's words. In Habakkuk 2, verse 18, you find that word. Dumb idols. And dumb, you know, means they cannot speak. In comparison especially to the preaching of the Word that must be central in the worship of God, idols cannot speak. Images cannot talk. And... Included with that, though that's not the first meaning of dumb, images are not intelligent beings. They cannot logically and clearly explain the Word of God so that you can hear it and your heart receives it by faith. Faith, remember, comes by hearing. Romans 10.17 For us to use dumb images, unspeaking and unintelligent images, would be to claim something very foolish. The catechism says, to pretend that we are wiser than God. God says, this is how I want my worship. I want my worship to be with the Word. The word spoken, the word heard, and mankind says "Oh, we think we're wiser. We rather have something else like images. The sharp rebuke in the catechism is sharp, but the Word of God is actually sharper on the basis of which the catechism teaches it. Psalm 115 verse 8 says this, They that make them are like unto them." Those images cannot speak and they cannot think. And God says in His Word, worship with them, and the people become just like them. They cannot think. and They cannot speak either. In application of this, beloved, I I want to speak especially to parents and to teachers. Listen carefully. It's important that we and our children, especially our children, grow up learning how to listen. They must be audio learners. They must learn how to listen and learn by listening. I understand and, and, and I know there are Many professionals out there that say that some are better visual learners, and I'm not denying that. Some are better visual learners. And in the classroom at school and and in our homes, we may, we are allowed to teach with, with visual aids. That's good and lawful. But we and our children must learn how to be audio learners. And we must fight for this. More and more in this world, it is no accident that we are surrounded by images of all kinds. And in the digital technology of today, more and more images are being brought into our schools and are being brought into our homes. And images are not wrong. There are some wicked images, obviously. But there are many lawful images to look at. But in our enamorment of the image... How is that affecting us when we come to church? Are our children so stimulated by the images that they are bored without images to stimulate their brains in church? Would our children so love images so much that when they come to church they despise everything that doesn't have an image? is the image, the images that we see all around us becoming something that is distracting our eye of faith from the Word. Those questions we must ask. We don't want to be legalists. We must fight against legalism. We must also uphold our lives which affect our church and our worship. The second commandment emphasizes how we must worship God without dumb images, but with a lively preaching of the Word. Regarding worship and church, the catechism explains to us on the basis of the second commandment, no images. and more it forbids anything else that God is silent about. The most significant phrase, perhaps, of Lord's Day 35 is the second part of answer 96. Nor worship Him in any other way than He has commanded in His Word. Very simply, children, if God does not say anything about it in His Word, if He doesn't say in His Word, this is what I want in church, then He means, I don't want it. It's forbidden. Or in the words of Leviticus 10, it is strange to me to make it part of my worship. The Belgian Confession, Article 7, is consistent with this, for since the whole manner of worship which God requires is written in them, meaning in the Scriptures, it is unlawful for anyone, though an apostle, to teach otherwise than we are now taught in the Holy Scriptures. The Belgian Confession is talking about worship. Even if an apostle showed up today and said, "You you may include... Something else, not in the Bible, in worship. It's forbidden. That apostle's wrong. This truth is often referred to as the regulative principle of worship. And it's illustrated in Leviticus 10. Notice the words in Leviticus 10, verse 1. They brought strange fire. And then this. Why is it strange? The Spirit explains why it was strange. Which He commanded them not which He commanded them not. Notice that the Spirit does not explain how the fire was strange. The Spirit does not say, well, Nadab and Abihu took coals of fire from the altar of Baal in your backyard and brought it to God doesn't say that Nadab and Bihu took an incense that they got from the worship of Asheroth next door and brought that before God. It doesn't talk about all the things that could have been wrong, but it speaks mainly of this. It's strange because God didn't command it. That's why it's strange. And if God didn't command it, then He doesn't want it. It's important to understand God did not lay out for Israel and God does not lay out for the church every single thing He doesn't want in worship. He lays out positively what He wants. And our services should include nothing more and nothing less. That's the positive requirement of the second commandment. So you ask, what should we include in worship services? Well, the catechism says lively preaching. And along with that lively preaching, the reading of the Word. Very simple. The reading and preaching of the Word. The sacraments... According to the Scriptures, if you want to see something, you look at the sacraments in worship, thank offerings, praying with His Word, congregational singing, confessing His Word, and receiving His blessing or benediction with His Word nothing else what what about you say no strange fire that which would include what god does not want but also that which would displace what god wants when we consider the law of god however we may not only point to others Who break the second commandment and ignore it, though it is indeed a commandment broken by many in this world who call themselves Christians. But strange fire is something we feel in our own bosom. We can feel our own sinful natures. The law exposes us to. In worship, we want what we want rather than what God wants. Colossians 2.23 brings us to the heart of the matter when it speaks of will worship. Worship as we will or we want. And so perhaps young people, And people, young adults, when I was your age, this was a struggle of mine, and so it may be your struggle as well. And you look at friends, perhaps you meet at college. Perhaps if you were to go to college and you were to see the kind of worship that other Christians engage in, you you might ask the question, why can't we have that in our worship services? Wouldn't that be good for the stirring of our souls? Why not include this and that? It would be nice we we'll be edifying. Those thoughts go through our minds. And then we come to our church and our worship services where things are quite simple. We feel our souls not only ask whether we should include other things, but also this, we begin to despise what God has given. Sick and tired maybe of the same old Psalm singing, preaching, praying. Or we don't physically bring into the worship service a strange fire, something God has not commanded, but we bring in our minds, our business, our sports, our entertainment, and we fill our minds with that, which is in breaking of the second commandment as well. This is our nature. The despising of the manner of worship which God commands for the entertainment of men and for the glory of man. Will worship. Interesting that it's called strange fire in Leviticus 10. Because it is true, beloved, that when you look at the different kinds of worship in this church world, There is a certain fire to it. Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement, they do stir the heart to feel a certain fire. A certain passion comes along with it. And that's what is attractive to us. But as passionate and as sincere and as Earnest as many are engaged in such worship, God calls it strange fire, not what I commanded. After all, do we come to worship, to please ourselves, to make ourselves feel good? That's our temptation too. The commandment itself, the second commandment says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So that before it even speaks of the images that God forbids, it speaks of not worshiping unto thyself, unto thee. When we want to include everything else that God does not command, You see what is happening in our souls? We want what we want. We want what pleases me. Worship is then unto ourselves, which is then not only the breaking of the second commandment, but the first. Strange fire is the kind of worship that is brought for me first. Within the second commandment in Exodus 20, there is this warning. I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, of all the commandments, all ten, in Exodus twenty, the one commandment that goes into depth and length about the consequences. That God brings upon those who disobey is the second commandment. The commandment that is so neglected is the commandment so explicit about God's jealous judgment. The jealousy of God comes from love, it's different from envy. Envy stems from selfish hatred. Jealousy of God comes from love. Father loves the glory of His Son and the Spirit. Son loves the glory of Father and Spirit. Spirit loves the glory of Father and Son. And as that triune God, they are jealous for the name of the other within the Trinity. Jealous about the kind of worship that is brought forth For the persons of the Trinity. And against strange fire. Therefore, this jealous God is a consuming fire. That's what we read about in Leviticus 10. Not only do we, or should we, not, or should we have a no tolerance. God has a no tolerance for worship. more than bringing consequences of fire, jealous wrath, now and in hell against individuals. Notice generational consequences. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. This is not a small deal, as it's said sometimes. When we bring worship that is not according to God's Word, God says, you are hating Me. And therefore, there will be consequences of fire, not only to individuals, but also to generations after. And the explanation of that is not that the children will have to suffer for the parent's sins, but rather this, that the children will follow the example of the parents unto the third and fourth generation and then be punished for their own sin. He is a jealous God. He takes His worship seriously. And yet, while He is a jealous God, He is also at the very same time a merciful Father. Jealousy comes from love. And He loves not only Himself and the persons of His Trinity, but He loves His elect people. He loves the people that He has chosen in Jesus Christ. He loves them so much that He would not have them do whatever they want, dirty themselves with all kinds of worship, He seeks their salvation. He seeks their worship to delight in them. So the the, the commandment itself says, Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Mercy is the key word. Mercy because you and me and the thousands upon whom he shows mercy are sinners. Sinners who have broken the second commandment, too. Sinners who deserve His fiery, consuming wrath as well. We and our children to the third and fourth generation as well. Yet mercy that shows itself in this way, connected to Leviticus 10, that God has given up His own Son, to take upon himself the consuming fire which devoured Nadab and Abihu in our place on the cross so that we are not consumed, but we are forgiven. No fire comes forth from the Holy of Holies to consume us when we worship. No fire will come forth upon us in hell for our sins against God because He has had mercy upon us in Jesus Christ. Think about the strange fire again that Nadab and Abihu brought. The text doesn't say exactly why, why it was strange. We already made that point. But it was probably this. they did not take the coals of fire from underneath the altar of burnt offering where the lamb's blood was shed and Nadab and Abihu came into the holy of holy, the holy place and before the holy of holies without the lamb's blood. And then along with that, their own ideas of worship. So come, beloved, know the mercy of God in Jesus Christ and come always, always to every worship service, looking unto Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain to cover your sins, even the sins against the second commandment. As you come by faith in that way, you want to be thankful, do you not? You want to bring forth the worship that He wants and not what you want yourself. Covered by the blood of the Lamb and thankfulness for what He has done, you want to bring forth the worship that He says He delights in. I will be sanctified. God said through Moses, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And God's people who know their salvation in Jesus Christ hear that. And they want what God wants. Amen. Let's pray. O God, for us to be sanctified, for Thy name to be honored, for our worship to be pure, we desperately need first that Thou would use Thy law, Thy Word as it has been preached this morning, to drive us to Jesus Christ, to know by faith His shed blood and covering So that we who are a strange people by nature, we know that we are made thy friends, thy beloved. And then, O God, giving us that certainty, may thy spirit work in us also to have thankful hearts, to want what thou dost want, to desire and delight in that which thou hast commanded, not with will worship, but with Worship according to thy will. Have mercy upon us, even unto thousands of generations. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.